Hey guys, welcome back to the 6AM Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisan. Always a pleasure to have you listening to our show. We appreciate all of our audience, everybody that listens, and we appreciate our guests for coming on. And as always, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to the website where you can sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So today we have a really great guest. We have Peter George that's going to be joining us. He is a public speaking coach, a speaker, and an author. But I'm going to let him do the honors of introducing himself. So Peter, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the people? Mark, thanks for having me. It'll be a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. As you said, my name is Peter George. I'm an author, speaker, and public speaking coach. I have spent the last 35 years speaking on stage, about half that time, 17 years or so, working with other speakers as well, whether they're professional speakers, aspiring speakers, executives, entrepreneurs, whoever wants to use that particular skill to increase their value to themselves, their company, or their community. So thank you for being a part of the show. And, you know, a lot of people have you know anxiety about speaking publicly and a lot of people would rather do anything else in the world but with you you actually have something that a lot of people would it would force them to not speak at all so you grew up with a lisp and a stutter so talk about that talk about what that was like as a child and how did you work on improving you know your speech and and getting rid of that stutter well i I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and when you're nine years old and you're growing up in a city, you do two things fairly well. You learn to do them. One is keep your mouth shut. The other is become fairly proficient in sports, and I played baseball, football, and hockey. So I was playing sports year-round, and I became pretty good in two of the three, and you didn't get picked on if you were good in sports. Mm -hmm. So that was key for me. And... From there, I really kept quiet all the way through school. And by the time I got to high school, both the lisp and the stutter all but vanished. And I had worked with therapists, if you want to call them therapists, in middle school, elementary school to help me. And it was rather brutal. (laughs) I wouldn't want anybody to go through what I went through. But as much as I hated it, it seemed to have worked. And then by the time I got out of school and out of college and went into the corporate world, I found out I had to present. And I thought, well, I don't do that. And so they sent me for help. First of all, it was group training. And then I went for one-on-one training with a coach. And that has made an incredible difference in my life. When I left the corporate world, I opened a publishing company and I learned that just about every time I spoke in public in the right events, we got a bumping income. And my partner, who's my wife, said, you do more of that. (laughs) And the more I spoke, the more our income would increase. So I learned a valuable lesson there. And we sold that company many years ago. And since then, I've continued to speak and been on the stage helping others as well. So, and that's, that's a great story. And so when you speak now, like that, that first time you spoke, I don't know if you had the butterflies in your stomach, if you had that anxiety, Did you have that? Does it still present itself? Is it something that, you know, I I know some people, you know, regardless of the age and how many times they've done something, they still get those butterflies, but they go away pretty quickly. Is that something you had or still get at all? 
still get. I never want that feeling to go away. When my clients or even people I just speak to say, hey, you know, I wish I could get over these feelings. You really don't want to. That's your body and your mind telling you you're about to do something special. The difference is when we say, oh, my God, I'm really nervous or I'm scared to death. It's the same adrenaline coursing through your body as the adrenaline is when you're excited. The thing is, we're labeling it differently. We're calling it fear, where someone who enjoys it says, I feel great. I can't wait to do this. So it's rather a mindset more than anything else, for most of us anyway. I mean, it could be to the point where it's clinical, but for most of us, that's not the case. So think of an athlete. We were talking sports before we started recording. You think of an athlete, and what I usually come up with for an analogy is think of the Super Bowl. And the NFL lets one reporter in a few hours early, and he or she goes in, speaks to a rookie. First time in the big game, obviously. Three hours beforehand, he says, I am so nervous, but, you know, I'll get my body and mind where it needs to be. And after that first hit, it's just another football game. Then she speaks to a veteran who's been there two, three, four times, and he says, I'm amped up. I can't wait. This is going to be great. But as soon as we make that first hit, it's just another football game. So they're looking at it two different ways. One is saying I'm nervous and the other is saying I have those same feelings, but I'm amped up. I'm excited. Would you say that comes from, so basically, you know, how our brain sees or how our body, how we react to our body's feelings is basically based on experience. Would you agree with that? If we've done it before, we kind of know it's coming. And if we haven't done it before, there's like that unknown part of it. Is it come a lot of it comes to experience, the difference? Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. But even with experience, sometimes people go, why does this keep happening to me? And, and that's when I let them know, you don't want it to go away. You want to manage it. You don't want it to, for you to become so fearful that you back out, mm-hmm. but you want to manage it. But you want that feeling. Think of that athlete. And you say, yeah, oh, Jim, why are you retiring? Well, uh, you know, I just don't have that feeling anymore. I got to camp Look how many football players retire two weeks into camp in July. I got to camp. I didn't have it anymore. Didn't want to get up each day and do it. The feeling was gone. So you want that feeling to be there so you can perform. And always remember this. We're there to serve our audience. We're not there to be experts in the entertainment. Being entertaining is great, but we're there to serve our audience, however we may do that. And entertaining may be one of the ways. But you want that feeling so you can best serve your audience the way they need to be serviced so they get what they need out of that day. And so when you're coaching people in public speaking, are there specific attributes to any presentation that's given that really need you need to make it you need to do these things for it to be successful? I understand that maybe, you know, not every presentation can be fully engaging or you can't persuade everyone in the audience, but are there specific things or attributes to a presentation that you tell the people that they should have for it to be successful? Yeah, there are a few. And you're right. Some things vary from person to person, presentation to presentation, situation to situation. But some of the things you want to do, one is breathe. Breathe. Breathing will help you relax. And when we get tense, We don't breathe as deeply. So breathe deeply, relax in through your nose, out through your mouth, just like your runners do, and relax. That's one thing. 
Another is pause. When you're speaking, pause. Always think of it this way, Mark. We know what we're going to say, but our listeners don't. And after we make a point, if we keep moving on, they don't have time to process it. They're trying to catch up with what we're saying now. And everything just keeps rolling off them. It's not getting inside and internalized. So pausing is key. And the other are things like eye contact. You know, I always say my mom taught me everything I ever needed to know about public speaking, which were stand up straight, look people in the eye, keep your hands out of your pockets. Pretty much what you need to know. Is it more complicated, more sophisticated than that? Of course. But those are some of the things, and people get bad advice. If you're nervous, look over everybody's head. Well, I've heard that. I have heard that. I have, yes. Terrible, terrible, terrible advice. You should always think of communication with people as if it were one person, how you would act as if it were one person. So if you and I are standing a few feet apart having a conversation, and during that whole conversation, I look over your head, are you going to be comfortable with that? Personally, I would not. No, no one would. And it's the same thing if you look over everybody's head. If there's three people, five people, 500 people, you look over everybody's head, they're not going to be connected with you at all. And you're going to realize that. And while you're up there saying, what's going wrong? And get more nervous. Make eye contact. We're human beings. We do that when we talk to each other. And of course, there is the old notion, I think, People get upset if I at least didn't ask this. There's always the old advice of if you get nervous, just picture everyone without their clothes on. Does I would that love work? to know where that came from. I have no idea what the origin is of that. First of all, I don't even know how you do that. Second of all, I'm not really sure why you would want to do that when you're speaking to other people, but that's terrible, terrible advice. You know, So many of us worry about perfection when we're Mm -hmm. speaking. We should worry or think about connection. So it's not perfection, it's connection. And the more we can connect as human beings, no different than if it's one-on-one. There's no difference between that and one-on-three and one-on-three-hundred and one-on-three-thousand. So, and I I love that, you know, worry about or work on connection more than anything. So when you're coaching, and I know there's most likely different types of presentations people have to give. If you're, if say you're a politician running for office, you're trying to persuade the audience. If you are an academic, you know, you're trying to inform or educate the audience. Like there's different types of presentations. Does your coaching change in those or is it basically the same? To some degree, the foundation is the same. Well, to a large degree, the foundation is the same. It might change for a specific reason, but I can't think of one offhand. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do when we're speaking to other people is not inform them. We're looking to transform them. When we inform them, we have that meetings that we walk out of and go, I will never get that hour back. Peter could have emailed that to me. But when we transform someone during that hour, two hours, 10 minutes, whatever it might be, that's different. That's when people say, oh, my God, how did Mark know to talk directly to me? That was awesome. And the three other hundred people in the room are going, how did Mark know to talk directly to me? That's what you want. You want to be there. If there's a reason for you to talk, there's a reason for you to transform someone in some way, the way they think, what they do, what they want to do 
whatever it is. So whether it's the politicians, politicians is way too much about this is what I'm going to do. Always make it about the audience, Mark. So now the politicians, and I work with some politicians, they should be saying, this is what you're going to get. Not what I'm going to do, what you're going to get. When you elect me, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. Who cares? But when you elect me, you'll get this, you'll get this, and you'll get this. That's powerful. No matter who's speaking. Again, if it's a, an academic talking to us, transform us, change our minds, make us think differently, add, give us information, but more than that, give us concepts and we'll do well in life. I like it. I like it. And like the runners we have on, you know, listening to this show and a lot of them are older runners trying to, you know, stay fit or get back into shape. There's always that fear, at least most of the time. And there was with me when I started, there was that fear of that first run of actually getting out and getting it done. And then there's always like 99% of the time, once we take those first few steps or go in that first run or go in that first week of runs, we think to ourselves, why did it take me so long? This is easier than I thought. The same question for people who want to get into public speaking, you know, they know they can get ahead in their profession if they give presentations, but they just have that fear. And have you, with the people that you work with that have that fear, how do you assist them? How do you help them kind of get over that first hurdle of just attempting the public speech? First of all, we talk about mindset, a little bit of what we've already done here, and that it's not about them as a speaker. It's about the people they're speaking to. So take the onus, take that weight off you, yourself, mm. that it's not about you. They go, what if I screw up? Because that's a lot of it. We don't have a fear of public speaking. I don't believe that at all. But we do have a fear of speaking up and there's, or screwing up. And there's things that we were taught as a child. Don't speak while the adults are speaking. Don't speak until you're spoken to. Don't speak. And we, don't speak. Don't speak. Don't speak. We might have that in our heads. And there are evolutionary things in our brains as well, the oldest part of our brains that set us up that way. But beyond that, I don't believe we fear public speaking. For the most part, we fear that one, we don't know how to do it well. It's a skill that anybody can learn. And two, we're afraid of looking bad in front of our peers or our bosses or our community or whomever it may be. So when people say, what if I screw up? What if I don't look good? What if I forget what I'm going to say? What if I, 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 I? My point to them, Mark, is it's about the audience. It's always about the audience. It's not about you. If you screw up, they'll forgive you. If you make a mistake, they understand. If you appear nervous, no kidding. Many people go, and I'm glad it's him up there, not me, because they understand. They have empathy for your nerves. I'll give you an example. The night before we're recording this, I was at a pitch contest. I had helped the six finalists who deliver this pitch for money, funding for their new businesses. Five of them were close to flawless. I mean, they were just excellent. They were engaging. They got out everything they had to hit all the criteria. One, her nerves got the best of her. There were two awards at the end of the night. The number one prize, which was $25,000. And then a $5,000 fan favorite prize. Guess which one got the fan favorite? I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> the one who screwed it up. Yep. Mm -hmm. And when she and I talked afterwards, she goes, I can't believe I got fan favorite. I screwed it all up. 
I said, you got the information out. Did you do it smoothly? No. But the people in the audience understood that. And they had empathy for you. And that's why you have that $5,000 check. Good for her. That's good. I like hearing a story like that. And I'm sure that that made her feel pretty good that to know the audience that she was so nervous to be talking to, so anxious, actually had sympathy and empathy for her. Right. And that's a good thing that a lot of us can learn from that. A lot of us can. But but again, like you said, it's taking that onus totally off of ourselves and understanding that this is for the audience and they're going to feel a certain way about you. And and we don't have to be perfect in every aspect of a presentation. So that's good information. So let's talk about the book. Let's talk about the ultimate guide to becoming a captivating public speaker. What was the genesis of this book? Why write it? Who is it for? And you know what can people get out of it? It's for aspiring speakers, professional speakers, and then again, executives, entrepreneurs, anybody who has to present and wants to do it well. And I think we all want to do it well. And the way I wrote the book, it follows exactly how I work with my clients. First thing it covers is nerves and taking that nervous energy and put it into a positive energy that you can use. Then we talk about how to create a engaging presentation, almost a step-by-step that they can follow. I call that the AMPT framework. AMPT stands for audience, message, presentation, and delivery. And it goes through each one of those. And then it takes you through using your voice and your body language to support that message and deliver that message. So everything you need to know as someone who's going to get up on stage in the front of a room, at the other end of a microphone in a podcast, whatever it might be, so you can help the people who are listening and you can serve them well. So for many years, I'd been toying with the idea of writing the book and having owned a publishing company before I knew what went into writing a book. (laughs) I said, I just don't want to take that time. I'm too old for that. But, you know, all I did was get older while I was delaying. So I finally did it. And the reason I did it, Mark, was because I'll hit a lot of people over the course of my lifetime and helping them, whether it's one-on-one in groups, whatever it may be, podcasts, the like. But I can hit that many more people with a book who I'll never know exist on this planet. And so if I can help them, even though I'll never know about it, that's a pretty cool thing. Love it. And we'll definitely be checking that out. And I can tell by the way you speak and, and the way you kind of exude this attitude that you really want to help people improve their presentation skills and improve their public speaking. And one of the things I'm sure you get asked all the time, and it's something that's on the back of, of everybody's mind who has to speak and right before their presentation, what if their presentation just falls flat? What happens <laughs> then? You know, I've put together all this research and I've researched my audience and I was a guest speaker and they brought me in and 20 minutes, it felt like it went by in 30 and then I leave and the feedback I get was that wasn't what I thought it was going to be or or it was just a poor delivery. Have you experienced that? How do you coach someone after they've experienced something like that? Uh, I'll answer. I'll answer those questions. Have I experienced that more times than I'd like to admit? Whether it was I was tired, whether I thought I was properly prepared and I wasn't. And I'll give you an instance how that happens. There's a lot of times 
in the course of 35 years, and a lot might be 10, 20, 30, where it wasn't maybe as engaging as I had planned it to be. And that's on me. That's always on me. And it's the same thing with my clients or anybody else. If you properly create a talk and you practice and prep and rehearse, the odds are it's going to go well. The first thing we cover in the AMPED framework is the audience. Who are they? What do they want and need to know? How do they have to benefit from the talk? How are they going to be transformed? How do you want them to feel all these things? You have to know that before you can create a presentation. And that's why, Mark, when people go out and go, I'll just wing it. Well, you might know what you're talking about, but you don't know the audience. You don't know if that's going to resonate with the audience or not. And I hear so many people, I know what I'm talking about, and I have the guts to get out there and do it. You know what they call that, Mark? The Japanese have a word for it. You know what that is? I do not. Karaoke. Oh. <laughs> you know the words I, I, and you have the guts yeah. to get up there, right? Uh, I, I, I walked into that one. I will, yeah. How often does karaoke go well? Not often. Yeah. So if you're properly prepared, it's that old saying, proper preparation prevents poor performance. You know, it's the same thing. And so if you're properly prepared, things should work well for you. But you have to do your research ahead of time. It's not just I'm going to talk about what I know. So if I screwed up, yes. Can people keep that the odds of that from happening or keep the odds low? Certainly. Prep, prep, prep for that particular audience in that particular instance. So would you say if someone is asked, like if, for instance, I'm asked to, hey, Mark, can you come speak to us about running? Can you come speak to us about you know, hosting a podcast? Should one of the first questions that I ask be, who is my audience? Is that a good question to ask? Perfect question. Think about it. You could be, hey, Mark, come speak to my group if you would. They're all runners. You say, great. And you're thinking these are going to be men and women, adults, 18 and above. And they're all six years old. Different talk. You're thinking they're all proficient runners. These people are out there practicing for marathons, half marathons, 5Ks, whatever it might be. And you get there and they're all newbies. You have to know who you're talking to so you know how to address them because they have different wants and needs. The woman who's been running for 30 years and is prepping for her sixth marathon is completely different for someone who's just starting out or is maybe overweight and is trying to get into shape. Different wants and needs, different way to serve them. Mm -hmm. Definitely good to know. So that's, and I'm sure a lot of people will you know, especially listen to this, you know, you, we, we're going to be asked at some point, a lot of us will be asked, can you come speak to this group? So that's a, that's a great thing to know. One thing, and I'm glad I have you on because I definitely wanted to ask you this, kind of pick your brain a little bit. So, you know, one of the things when, when I would lead teams in the past and I would like to delegate stuff for people to do presentations to make, give, you know, whenever I had my weekly or monthly meetings, I'd have one person on my team you know, present a training or an update to training to the team. And I noticed that I would give people suggestions and give them training topics, but a lot of their presentations would fall flat. They really wouldn't be informative. And even though they worked, this is a group of people they worked with, it didn't really resonate with the audience. And I personally believe that public speaking is a skill that 
is necessary. That's what I personally believe. I think we use it more than people think. It's not just giving presentations. You know, it's, it's going out in the world and talking to multiple people. It's interviewing for a job. There's a lot of things that we use public speaking for and to become, you know, make it more natural and just become better at it. So I go back to thinking when I was in school and we have to give, you know, book presentations and state presentations and all that stuff. And we were kind of judged on the information right. we gave versus how the information came across. We were judged no one on told how, us how to do it. Exactly. That's where I'm getting at. Like, I really think we don't do enough to teach people this art and this skill. Is that something that we need to get better at? Is that something that, because we, we see it as soft skills and I don't like using that term. I don't like, I, it, it makes people think. It's not a soft think, skill, it's a power skill. So I will let you speak on that. What are your thoughts on the training, the teaching, you know, why more people don't take public speaking or don't look at it as a power skill? Well, I certainly didn't take public speaking or any comm courses in college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, think of it again. We're told, don't speak till you're spoken to. All those things, don't speak, don't speak, don't speak. And then we get in the third grade and the teacher says, Mark, come up here and, and speak. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It's more about the information, right? But what do our peers judge us on? Adults generally don't do this. But what do our peers in elementary school and middle school and the like judge us on? Right. How we look, if we screwed mm. up, if our clothes were funny, if our face got red or whatever it might be, that's what they're doing. They're giggling. They make, and, our, and our closest friends are the ones who are going to give it to us the most. I can't believe how red your face was and your, the paper was shaking in your hand. And the last thing we ever want to do again is get up there and do that. And that will last with you for a lifetime unless you overcome it. So that's often left with us. But the teachers say, come up here and do this, but they don't tell us how. They don't take that time because they have to now have another kid come up and another kid come up and another kid. They should teach the kids how to speak. There's this guy, you may have heard of him, Warren Buffett. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I thought maybe. I think maybe I have. You heard, <laughs> yeah, you might have heard his name once or twice. The guy's done okay for himself in his lifetime. He says his greatest investment of all time. Now, this is a guy, when he invests, it's analyzed, scrutinized, reported worldwide. People move millions, if not billions of dollars on his investments. He says his greatest investment was when he was 27 years old and took a public speaking course because he knew that if he wasn't able to communicate with others, he would not be able to lead them or work with them proficiently. And that's how much we need it, yet it's not taught in schools. Law school, law school doesn't even teach lawyers, some of whom mm. are going to stand in front of judges and juries, how to speak. And I, I was just thinking, like, the perfect person to teach public speaking is a person who speaks publicly to a group of students every day for a living. It seems like low-hanging fruit, but again... There's the curriculum. We need to get that next student up. I have to grade papers. And I think we're really doing a disservice to entire generations by not at least engaging in the subject of becoming better public speakers. I so, agree with you 100%. And I, I, I keep, and I mention that all the time. And, you know, people ask me, I don't know how you, how you get up and, and do your, you know, this is one of two podcasts I have. And how do you get up and do it? And it's, it's, 
you know, I, I train, like I, I research, I, I listen to podcast. Like I, you know, once you do it a few times, like I said, it gets a little easier. Do I still have those nervous energy about when a new episode goes up? Of course, but I feel better about them every time I do it. And so since, and again, since I have you, there's a really, I don't know how to describe this term, but I kind of want you to explain it. You can say, and you write down showing up and throwing up in <laughs> regard to public speaking. So what do you mean when you say that? Showing up and throwing up is winging it. You're just showing up, vomiting information on people and leaving. And Mark, I'm 64 years old and it didn't take me all these years to figure out people didn't want to be vomited on. So we can't just do that. Again, we have to take them into consideration. What do they want and need to know? Why are they here? What are their expectations of this time? What do they want to leave with? And I'll give you an example of that. This goes back several years, maybe 10 years. A business associate and I were talking at an event, and she said to me, I hear you're working with Mike. And I said, yes, I am. How'd you know? <laughs> and she said, he told me. He's a friend of mine. I said, oh, I didn't know that. She said, why are you working with him? He's a great speaker. And I said, he's a very passionate speaker, ton of energy. You can tell he loves what he does. You can tell he loves being with the people. I said, but let me ask you a question. She said, what? Would you get, when's the last time you were to talk of his? She goes, well, several months ago. Why? I said, what'd you get out of it? What? What'd you get out of the talk? Well, he's really passionate. No, no, no. That's about him. What did you get? I can't think of anything. And that's why I'm working with him. He was awesome up there. He was showing up. He was throwing up. No one was walking away with anything. Everybody would say, hey, it's passionate. He's passionate. Yep, he was. Loves what he does. Yep, he does. Loves being with people. Yep, he does. Give them anything? Nope. Does now. He looks at it differently, that it's not about him. It's about the audience. So I said before, I would tell you how you might know you did a good job. Some people say, Hey, Peter, great job. Odds are it wasn't. <laughs> if that's what they can tell me, as opposed to, hey, I never knew this before, and that's going to make a difference in how I do this, or I never knew that, and I'm going to implement that, or, hey, I completely disagree with this, which is perfectly fine, by the way, but at least they're thinking about something. If all they've got for me is, hey, Peter, great job, I didn't give them anything to think about. Well, eh, well let me go a little deeper on that. I might ask them if they say, hey, Peter, great job. Oh, thanks so much, Mark, for saying so. What did you get out of it? Now, at that point, if they're like, uh, 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 you're passionate about being up there. I didn't do a good job. I didn't serve them. I had fun. You know, first thing I got out of that, you make me so like remember some of the presentations I've had to sit through is that the audience knows when you're not prepared. Like the oh, audience God, yeah. knows if you're jumping back and forth and not really connecting any of the subject matter together and, you know, moving around a lot, speaking quickly and not pausing. Like we, we know this is one of those times where you said, well, I'm a subject matter expert. I'll just wing it up there. Like they'll figure it out and they'll like what I have to say. Cause I can, and I know that that thought process, that's the same person that, you know, said, I don't have to study for this exam. I'm just going to wing it. It's a uh, objective and, and I'll just, uh, it's essays and I, I'll just, I'll just BS it. And it's yeah. like that, that, your teacher, know, your teacher <laughs> yeah. knows 
when you did that, if nothing connects. They've but, seen this yeah. show before. <laughs> exactly. They weren't born <laughs> yesterday. You know, when we don't prep to deliver a presentation, a talk, whatever you want to call it, when we don't prep for that, it's disrespectful to two parties. It's disrespectful for yourself because you're most likely going to fail. Even if you tell yourself you did a fantastic job, you're probably going to fail. And the other is, and more importantly, it's disrespectful for the audience. I don't care if that audience is a paying audience. I don't care if their bosses told them they had to be in that meeting and listen to you. I don't care what the situation is. Community event. They took their time, sometimes their money, their attention. They took time away from their families or golf or running or whatever they love to do to listen to you. And you didn't have the respect for them to prep, to understand what they wanted, needed, how they were going to be transformed. You didn't take the time for that. That's entirely disrespectful. Mm. And like you said, they know it. Give them three minutes. They know it. If even that long, they know. And that's unfortunate. You want to ruin a reputation? Great way to do it. Be prepared, but screw up. Forget what you're going to say, stutter, whatever it might be. People are forgiving as could be. You don't prep, it's not good. And again, it, it goes to so many of the things that we do during our day. If we have a, a phone interview and we do no research on the company, we don't even go to LinkedIn to look at the interviewer. And we think we have this cockiness about us. It's not confidence. It's, it's definitely not confidence. It's this cockiness about us, this arrogance. This is, oh, whatever they throw at me, I can, I can take. Like, that's not prepping correctly. And that's doing a disservice to both of you. Same when you're on stage. Same when you're giving a Zoom presentation. Same with any of the things that you do in regard to speaking to a large group of people. Think about your audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How arrogant is it if they say, Boston Marathon. I'll just show up. <laughs> I haven't run in six months. I'll just show up. Could someone knock it out of the park? Keep going right up Heartbreak Hill? Sure. I'm sure there's one person out there who might be able to. Most of us? No way. Not going to happen. If we don't run out of endurance, if we will pull a hamstring, something's going to go. So it's the same idea. Just because you know what you're talking about, just because you know how to run, doesn't mean you can do something terrific without first prepping for it. Right. And again, I'm talking to Peter George, who is the author of The Captivating Public Speaker, excuse me, The Ultimate Guide to Becoming a Captivating. No, you were right. I was right. Okay. The, the yep. Captivated Public Speaker. So available on Amazon. Looks like it's coming soon to Audible. And Peter is a public speaking coach, a speaker. Looks like you've been a speaker for 35 years 35 and a coach years. for 17. So before I let you go, I definitely, I definitely want you to answer the question. What's the question you get asked the most often? I'm sure people have so many questions to ask about public speaking. How long should my presentation be? You know, should I use notes? Should I use bullet points? Where should I be on this? All that stuff. But what is the question you get asked the most? Quite often it's about being nervous and we already covered that. So I'll go to another one. Mm -hmm. And the number one question any coach ever gets asked, any public speaking coach, is what do I do with my hands? 
Wow. Yep. I, that's a great question. That's a great question. What do I do with my hands? And the answer is fairly simple. Whatever you do when you talk to another human being, don't keep them in your pockets. Bring them out. Express yourself. Your hands can't be willy nilly going all over the place, hitting things or like I just did, throwing my hands up in the yeah. air <laughs> or, you know, looking like this. You can't do that. But the way you normally talk, we talk with our hands. We express ourselves with our hands. The person or people we're speaking to want to read our hands. It's innate in us. It's, it's a survival thing in our brain from 900,000 years ago. Mark, you and I are crossing over the compound from one cave to another. What are we looking at? Any idea when we're approaching each other? Our hands, I, I would I assume. Our right hands. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I want to know if I have a club, a rock, spear, knife, whatever it might be, ah. because even a small injury will turn into an infection and you'll die. And we knew that back then, that we had no recourse whatsoever. So our hands matter. And on top of that, before the spoken word, how did we communicate? Mm -hmm. With our hands. It's built in us. So use your hands. Don't put them in your pockets. God forbid you put them behind your back. Definitely don't do that. Just bring them out and use them as you normally would. So that's the question. I was trying to get deeper, like, oh, yeah. slide, listen. But that's the number one question just about any public speaking coach will get asked. Because on the flip side of that is that if, you know, back in the day, if we're walking towards each other and I can't see your hands, I automatically think danger. Something's behind your back that I don't know. And I, I feel a certain way about it. So yeah. I never I never thought about it on that type of like simple scale of hands. And, you know, and I, again, hearing you say those things, I'm thinking of the times I've met somebody or listened to a presentation and their hands just stayed at their side the whole time and there was no movement. And it felt right. really awkward. Like you were, I was focused more on why aren't their hands, why are their hands by the side versus what they're saying. Right. And much of speaking, much of communication is done at the unconscious level, not subconscious, but the unconscious level, things we can't think about. Like if I said to you, how many times have you raised your eyebrows during this talk? You have no clue. Okay. How many times did you lift your right hand up? You have no clue. These things are done at the unconscious level. Well, we read others. Like you said, if I had my hand behind my back coming towards you, you might get nervous. And even before you realize you're nervous, you might start sweating or just get a little jittery because your brain's going, um, I think we have a problem here that it'll happen on the unconscious level first. So we communicate this way. Do what you naturally do and it will make a difference when people go. Yeah, but people told me I should speak with my hands down by my sides. You can for a few seconds, let your arms relax. But think if we were watching a sitcom on television. And everybody had their hands by their sides when they were talking. Hey, want to go to the movies? Sure, I'll go to the movies. And the hands never moved. It would look like we had figurines that we would, they were just moving across the room in the sitcom. That would be a great social experiment, by the way. I'm, I'm surprised no one has done that yet. Just some type of quick sitcom where, you know, at this show, everybody is going to just have to keep their hands by them, their side and just see how it messes with the human interpretation of that show. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing now because that's a great idea. I mean, I'm surprised Seinfeld didn't do something like that because, you know, that, oh, that, that would have been, been right. Up. Yeah, that would have been perfect. Uh, 
So, well, Peter, thank you so much for being a part of the show. How can people find you online? How can they get in contact with you? How can they get and be a part of some of your services? Go to PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. They can learn about my services. They can get free tips. They can download free tips. They can also get direct access to my book at Amazon there. Awesome. Peter, this has been a really great discussion. I appreciate you being a part of the show. Thank you so much, and you have a great rest of your day, okay? Mark, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.